Welcome to Forward Talks, a podcast by Gumbuk about moving towards sustainability in the region and beyond. I'm Tatiana Antonelli, and I'm joined today by key industry experts from our latest Gumbuk think tank that we ran alongside our partners Amex and our event host Jumeirah Group in their flagship Burj Al Arab Hotel on the 3rd of June 2022. This event is part of the Global Goals program at Gumbuk. It opened up a very thought-provoking and fresh discussion on ESG reporting, noting the human and data complexities that surround this topic. The objective behind this think tank was to gather experts to exchange their wealth of knowledge and their ideas, to assess challenges and to highlight opportunities for regulation, quality data collection and measuring impact in the ESG space. In the first part, we have Daniel Gribbin, VP of Sustainability and ESG at Amex, who discussed the driving forces for ESG reporting, including regulations and also the challenges related to data collection. I think what we've come to finally is an alignment between the science, the regulations, and then what the market leaders have been doing for the last 15 or 20 years. And we're starting to see some real impactful regulations, um, some big announcements happen. Um, we've had the recent IPCC report um, come out last year really announcing you know, the change in the uh, impactful way that climate changes affect us and the irreversible changes that we won't be able to manage for an extensive period of time. We've had things like the Sustainable Development Goals, which came out uh, quite a while ago now, but are actually now getting a lot of traction. Um, we have the UAE bidding for COP or hosting COP uh, later next year. Um, and then we have things like you know, the, the regulators. So SEC, uh, the CSRD coming out uh, recently, uh, increasing requirements around scope one, two, three reporting, increasing sustainability disclosures, the EU taxonomy of which many companies in this region might have to report into to parent companies. And then we have the market leaders who are really pushing for this. Um, so the likes of BMW who need to use sustainable aluminium in their production of their vehicles. And what that's all led to is, you know, I'll use the example of carbon and increased level of disclosure. And I'll use carbon just for this example, but it can be really spread across the ESG uh, stream or, or world of impacts and issues. But what we're starting to do is many companies have been reporting their scope one and two emissions for a long period of time, um, or have been having, a mani having a, an understanding of it. But the big focus has come recently around scope three. Um, and this is a necessary evil because everyone's scope one or two is someone else's scope three. Um, so I don't see this happening for you know, a long period of time, but what we need to do is get a groundswell of companies who are now reporting on their scope one and two emissions. And this could be uh, for any issue or impact, it could be across the diversity realm. So you'll start to probably see soon requests around how you're managing uh, women in management from companies who you wanna work with across your supply chain, for example. So that level of transparency is going to increase and that's what we're seeing with scope three. What do I see as the issues associated with collecting this data? And I'm using greenhouse gases again as an example, but I can use this for anything is understanding the boundary of one's operations when you're either reporting greenhouse gas or you're reporting diversity data or you're reporting health and safety is a key issue um, that I've noticed over the 15 years. So many times in the consulting world, we would go into a, a company and start to talk to them, whether it's about greenhouse gas or diversity, and they wouldn't actually understand where their boundary of their operations started and stopped, particularly as we diversify, we grow in partnerships, um, we work up and down supply chains. Um, and we see issues, for example, you know, Nike, if I go back 20 years and the issues in their supply chain and child labor, um, they weren't aware of where their impacts started and stopped. And they've got a much better handle of that now. So what I really implore to people is to really start to get an understanding of your value chain up and down the supply chain. Um, understand where does your boundary and where does your operation start and stop? What are you responsible for and where do you have a big impact? 
And that leads into focusing on materiality. So if you're starting on this journey on the first time, focusing on what's important uh, as an initial step, as a stepping stone into getting into a handle on ESG or sustainability or carbon management is really crucial. And that's where you start to focus on your material sources. Many of the companies in the Middle East, it will be around electricity or gas consumption, for example, in greenhouse gas. Um, it might be around worker welfare and safety if we go into the social world. Um, but really getting a focus on what is that, once you understand that boundary of your operation, what is the most impactful thing that we can focus on as a starting point so that we can get into there, we can build up skills, we can build up awareness, and then we can start to expand into other areas of the ESG world. Where does your data come from? It's a key part of the first two as well. So we will start to see increased transparency. We're starting to see a request for increased transparency, whether that's trying to get access to better rates from banks, whether it's being rated through ESG rating agencies and it affecting your credit ratings. But you need to start to come up with more transparent data, and that means you need to understand where your data comes from whether you need to request it from the supply chain itself because that's where your biggest impacts are, whether it's directly from your own employees and they need to understand why they're reporting this information and what information is good, um, whether it's an increase for auditability and traceability and transparency. Um, understanding where that data comes from so that you can have uh, integrity and transparency around it is really crucial. And then the final thing, which I think is a, a big one as we are sort of on this journey, is making sure you have the right culture within your organisation to change, to adapt and to learn. I think this is the biggest one. We often see uh, maybe ESG sustainability sitting within one small pocket of an organisation and it's very hard to change the mindset of the remaining 90, 95% of your company around why we should focus on this issue. And that often starts with leadership. So making sure our leaders are on board with us, that they're supporting the journey, that they are enforcing the culture and that we're practising what we preach from an ESG and sustainability perspective really is going to be key and impactful, whether it's calculating your greenhouse gas footprint, making sure that people buy in, or it's other issues. What we're starting to do is to help you integrate that data more successfully through a few tools. Um, one thing I really recommend to people is work in partnerships. There's a reason SDG 17 exists around global partnerships is that we recognise that ESG and sustainability is not a, a problem we can solve by ourselves. It does require us working together, whether that's consulting parties, it's experts, it's peers. Um, working together collaborative, collaboratively is a really strong way to start this journey and to understand and to gain an increase in knowledge. And then the last, of, the last three there are all around technological solutions to increase your uh, understanding and data specifically to what we're doing at Emex. So things like having automatic connections to your SAP or ERM systems to make sure that your data is coming in and out fluidly and you're not having double entry and manual issues. Having IoT devices, which is uh, Internet of Things devices to get live and more accurate reporting of data. And things like batch uploads if you have a significant chunk of information that needs to be uploaded to a system. We brought together an all-star panel from different industries and different ESG trajectories and priorities to share their insights, and it was great to moderate this discussion. I started with addressing Mohamed El Khalil, Director of Prudential Supervision from Dubai Financial Services Authority on financial regulation. There has been a lot of work uh, taking place on, on sustainability and, and the financial uh, service uh, world, uh, where actually we have uh, uh, started a UAE-level working group uh, back in um, 2019, uh, just before the uh, COVID. And that group uh, involves uh, all the financial service regulators in the UAE. So there is uh, ourselves as the uh, financial regulator of the DIFC, the DFSA. We have the Central Bank of the UAE, the Securities and Commodities Authority, the uh, Financial Service Regulatory Authority of uh, ADGM, uh, 
uh, but also we have uh, uh, some key ministries uh, in, in the UAE, the Ministry of uh, Finance, Ministry of Economy, Ministry of uh, Environment and Climate Change. Uh, and also we have uh, some of the uh, 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 financial uh, markets, the stock markets, the uh, Dubai financial market, uh, Nasdaq Dubai, the Abu Dhabi financial uh, markets all, all came together because we realized that this is, this is a challenge for all of us. Uh, this is not the place where, where we can compete. Uh, it's actually it's a place where we need to work uh, all, uh, all together. And um, uh, at the end of last year, uh, that working group came with a statement with certain commitment. Uh, uh, and commitment, main commitment is to support the UAE government announcement to reach a net zero by, uh, by 2050. And from, from that working group, um, uh, there is now currently three main working streams uh, which came. One is working on taxonomy, which is a big topic and a very challenging uh, uh, topic, and that uh, work stream is led by the Ministry of uh, Finance. Another uh, work stream, which is also very important for the uh, financial service industry, is uh, about governance and risk management. So uh, we all realize how particularly climate is a risk uh, for financial institutions. Uh, so we, we need to put some principles on to tell people what are the minimum expectations in terms of governance and uh, managing the risk of, uh, of uh, climate uh, change. And the third working group is also uh, touched on, on the topic, uh, the key topic of data, which is about financial uh, disclosure. Uh, so that's at the, at the UAE level. Uh, also uh, at the DIFC level, we have uh, also launched uh, a task force for uh, uh, sustainability. Uh, and that task force includes uh, 15 of the uh, uh, top or the biggest name uh, in the DIFC, all of them are international financial institutions from different uh, sectors in the financial service industry. You have banks, you have asset managers, you have insurance companies, you have even uh, rating agencies uh, as well. And uh, these people are meeting regularly uh, to discuss and share uh, uh, knowledge and, uh, and uh, practices. And we are planning to uh, later in the year, hopefully before, uh, before the next uh, COP27, to issue uh, a paper uh, to share with the wider industry some of the best practices that uh, people are using uh, in the financial service uh, industry. Uh, and on top of that, of course, there is a, the, the uh, a global uh, uh, efforts that's uh, taking place. We're, we're also part of some of these. Uh, for example, the ISSB has been mentioned. We are also uh, uh, participating in the working group on uh, coming with proposal on uh, on uh, standard financial uh, financial reporting, uh, and there is another uh, standard setter uh, which is the uh, central bank and financial service uh, authorities network for cleaning the financial system, the MGFS, uh, which also has been launched in 2017, led by the uh, uh, central bank of France uh, uh, as a result of the uh, climate summit in in Paris in 2016. Um, and that is also becoming uh, very, uh, very active now. I think they have more than 90 central bank and financial service uh, uh, authority from across the world who are member of that uh, standard setter, that, that group. Uh, as a financial service uh, regulator, we are now hiring people who have expertise in this area. And that's a big challenge for us, uh, finding people who know at the same time about uh, sustainability, climate, uh, and uh, financial regulation. Uh, there's not so many. Uh, unfortunately, so so we are also have a, uh, we're spending on actually educating our people uh, uh, to uh, because uh, it's a challenge for me as a regulator if I want to go to my financial institution and ask them questions about what they are doing in this area I need to have 
my own people knowing what, what questions to be asked first. Uh, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge. challenge. Yeah. And climate activists are not generally known to have big bank balances. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right? <laughs> I then turned the focus to Maria Marhobesi, Head of Sustainability and Business Excellence from Etihad Aviation Group, the UAE national carrier. We are a business as well, not just in addition to aviation, there is food, beverage side, there is catering. So it's a very interesting mix. But um, it is being regulated considering that the UAE is signed up to the Carbon Offsets and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation. So in, I think it's, it's very difficult to compare our industry and put it on the same sort of uh, comparison uh, with others because obviously we are a very dirty industry. But, um, um, you know, we, we have a lot of indices out there that are specific to aviation. Um, um, and, and, and Daniel mentioned, uh, for instance, um, ISO 14001. And in the aviation industry, for example, um, IATA, which is the body that represents the airlines, has, has set up an, the, uh, the IATA Environmental Assessment Program. And only eight carriers, and we're proud to be one of those eight carriers, are stage two certified. So by default, you have ISO 14001 certification. So if, I think this is indicative, at least, as, as to what we have in terms of um, the, the ecosystem in place to, to ensure that we do report uh, with transparency. But we're very focused on decarbonization. But ESG is broader than decarbonization. There's the human aspect, the social aspects, obviously, um, that we wish to be more active in. But I'm very proud to say that Etihad has been, um, I, 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 and, I, and I can say with a degree of confidence, uh, an industry leader in sustainability. Um, we've paved a lot of uh, ways and, 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 and probably started innovating in terms of how we can actually sustain sustainability because that's another challenge as well. And I'm sure uh, Mohammed can tell us more about this because financing sustainability is a challenge as well. So in a nutshell, Tatiana, I don't think we can actually place um, um, aviation in, in, in the same bag when it comes to other industries. But as a, pro, uh, as a business, we, we are a combination of a lot of uh, industries. So there's also some sort of Jumeirah in us as well. So if you know what I mean. So it's, um, we need help uh, as an industry to, to measure uh, our progress. And I think transparency is very important and, 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 and fair and I think leveled ground as well as to what is um, realistic. But there was a point raised about how, how serious the UAE is about, um, you know, committing to um, reporting, etc. And I think this became pro probably the pressure has built up on us as well as the national carrier because we wear the UAE hat as well as uh, uh, many other hats, is the UAE announced its commitment to net zero by 2050 in November 2011. Uh, 2021 apologies uh, so so this puts a lot of pressure on us if the leadership commits and time showed that if they say if, if leadership says something they usually follow through and it's not just talking the talk it's literally walking the talk as well so we will i think eventually require more stringent um auditing and reporting uh to be in place um, for our industry and beyond as well so that was a very loaded answer, Tatiana. But <laughs> no, <laughs> it was interesting. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 
This next question was addressed to Adrian Doolin, board member of the UN Global Compact Network, UAE chapter, and also CEO of Green Touches, which is an SME that offers safe and sustainable cleaning services. I'm actually, to be really honest, uh, till a few days ago, it happens to me, and I'm sure to, uh, to many of you, to talk about ESG, and people look at me saying, what? And we're talking about uh, people like in, in high positions, and we're not talking about, you know, someone coming out of, of school. I mean, uh, ESG is still something very vague. I mean, today we're, we're going deep into details. Um, but from a, a UN Global Compact perspective, where you're trying to gather all the companies under, you know, the SDG umbrella, sustainability, how do you see this? Is this, because you've been in board for many years now, is there a progress? What do you see? Yeah, definitely, I think so. I mean, ESG has been around since the 60s, so I'm really quite surprised that people actually have never heard of it. Um, I think it's become the new buzzword now anyway, and it definitely has more of an affiliation with the financial aspects of, uh, of business um, and transparency data uh, disclosure, which is fantastic, because I think that will put us on a great uh, road for achieving sustainability for businesses. Um, from a global compact point of view, um, for the local network, I mean, the, the Global Compact uh, was set up in Davos in, in 2000 by the then uh, Secretary General, um, Kofi Annan, yeah, <laughs> nearly forgot his name there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was setting up with the 10 principles. So, you know, for uh, human rights, corruption, environment um, and labour. So the S of the, of the ESG. Um, I mean, I don't know, I'm not sure now where the four pillars uh, of sustainability have kind of disappeared to, but I think ESG has definitely taken over from that. Um, within the UAE and our local uh, global compact network, um, I think we're, uh, we're around 176 uh, businesses now, um, with, uh, or 176 members actually, with around 159 of those um, businesses and then 17 um, NGOs and academic uh, institutions and that. Um, so we fall under, I mean, obviously we're, we're impacting because we follow with the government's guidelines for, for 2050 um, and we have a lot of impact on, um, we do SB, um, SDG Accelerator Ambition Programs, which I think from Accenture, that was a, an amazing program where we looked at um, environment, uh, water waste uh, treatment, uh, corruption, labour rights, human rights. Um, so that's, that's a very big impact. And when you're talking about, you know, the size of the companies, like overall, and um, the number of companies that are involved in, in, the, in the global compact um, would, would employ the, the, the most uh, people within the, uh, within the industries. Um, so, and we're looking also at impact. So what impact do we have? So we have to, as members of the global compact, we produce a communication on progress yearly. And the nice thing is, is if you don't produce it, then it's, you're out. So it's really stringent and I think it's really good and they're coming more and more uh, stringent uh, rules on, on how to and, and to have more impact. Um, so I definitely think that the Global Compact, I mean, for me, I love it. Um, we were invited to join um, as a business in 2017 um, and we were already two years into the business and I was like, oh, hey, I've already been doing this. So, you know, for me anyway, as an SME and as the owner of the founder of the company and I like to work with a, an ethical and, and value uh, manner, it's very easy for me to push through everything and for my transparency, for my supply chain, um, I, I, you know, I command it for, for use of a, a better word. And um, so I, I, you know, I have my ESG already in place 
Um, I mean, I could do it uh, with the help of uh, Amex to, uh, to to put us on, you know, to actually showing everything really, really well. Because, you know, as a smaller sustainable business, you're, you're, you're wearing many hats. Um, but I definitely think the, you know, the SDGs are, who, who doesn't want to achieve, uh, you know, zero hunger? Who doesn't want to look at gender equality? Who, who doesn't want to see peace and justice in the world? So these are, you know, general values for, for people. Um, so definitely, I think they, you know, they are a wonderful uh, solution for businesses as well. And then they're easy. You know, they're, they're easy to, to follow. It's, 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 it's not a difficult set of guidelines. Um, and it's really important. And I think, you know, the, the, the S is just as important as, the, as the, the, uh, the E and the G within the ESG. Really, it, it, it all has to go together, right? To, uh, you know, it's like a big circular economy. It all has to be, um, we, all, we have to fulfill all of it. And we can't just put, you know, everything on finance. Yes, we need finance, but, you know, we need finance that is also impactful within sustainability. So I think we need to sort of get away sometimes from just this whole thought process on finance, finance, finance. Because, you know, as Daniel was alluding to earlier, you know, if we just continue to talk the financial narrative, we won't be, we won't action fast enough. This uh, could be an invitation, actually, for any of you who wants to know more and learn more. It's, a, it's a, an impressive um, uh, way to, you know, action. Um, so maybe if you want to You know, to Tatiana, what I discovered yes. that when we were, we were going through a, um, a survey recently, a questionnaire, um, an ESG uh, assessment, and we actually missed the score because we, didn't, we weren't signatory to the UN Global Compact. So if you are very conscious of your grades, and, and this is going to attract business. So, yeah, we're, I'm, 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 we're going to have a chat. We're going to have a chat anyway. I mean, Paul Polman, he, he turned around and he said, any businesses who are not working in sustainability, and he means following the sustainable development goals as well, they will not survive because the millennials and Gen Zs, they're coming along and they're asking those vital questions. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, you want to just sit down and say to yourself, what am I actually wanting to achieve in life? Right. What, what we all want to achieve together. Um, and as part of the, um, the impact, the UN uh, Global Compact um, have with, are engaged with uh, UAE, uh, you know, thought, uh, thought makers with a, a think lab. Um, which is a, a big uh, global multi-network, which talks about the ILOs, um, you know, that everybody, you know, for economic and social rights, so leave no man behind. And this, you know, this must be of vital importance uh, going forward. And last but not least, I turn to Ashraf Abdelhalek, sustainability, health and safety leader for Gulf countries from Schneider Electric to draw attention to how they align the SDGs to their ESG performance. Schneider Electric is a part of the Gumbu Global Growth Program. We started working actually with Schneider last year and uh, it was very clear that for you the SDGs were definitely the framework to follow. You are a signatory of uh, the Global Compact and uh, we came as Gumbu to your latest event two weeks ago. So the Innovation Summit uh, that you ran here in Dubai and everything within the summit was related to SDGs. The first thing you had to do entering the event was to actually do the calculation of your carbon footprint. 
Um, I I need three planets to. <laughs> I, I really felt horrible. I thought I was doing good, but not at all. You were doing good. Some people needed ten. <laughs> so I would love to for you to to tell us more about how you report following the SDG framework. So uh, for uh, for Schneider, we consider the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals as our main framework. But we are also thinking of the other standards or other guidelines to, uh, to report. So uh, we, we have both of them. I um, printed a big list, actually. So I cannot memorize a big list of the standards and uh, guidelines that we, uh, that we align our reporting to. And it includes uh, ISO standard 26,000. Uh, it includes 14, uh, ISO 14,001. Uh, it includes uh, ISO 45,001. It includes, you know, a big list. I don't want to go through the, the whole list. We'll waste uh, the, our time here. But uh, also for uh, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board uh, and TCFD. So a lot of, uh, of standards. So when we, when we talk about uh, SDGs, it doesn't mean that we forget about the other reporting standards. But when we represent our results, we use uh, SDGs as our uh, frame to put the results uh, on, on boxes. So what we do to have zero hunger, what we do to have uh, no poverty, what we do to have quality education. So a lot of things is there. So we think that because SDGs are something that uh, re recognized by everyone, uh, it is also a result of negotiation and political agreement between countries. It's well, uh, well recognized. So we think that this is uh, the, the good way to present our results in a language that many people or most of the people around the globe will understand. However, we still have also our reporting format based on all of these standards available on our sustainability dashboard. So if you like to go to, 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 to see our dashboard uh, according to GRI, for example, uh, or GHG protocol, it's there. Uh, for, for those who are more specialized, more going deeper and deeper to check the results, it's there. But when we publish our sustainability, we call it Schneider Sustainability Impact Report, and we publish it every year uh, in Q1 for the, for the previous year. And it is uh, all the results, all, by the way, also one very important point, the methodology of reporting, not only the results and data collection, the methodology of reporting, the calculation, all of this, uh, are third party audited by one of the top three auditors worldwide. So uh, we don't report internal data without being third party audited. If it is not audited, this is not included. So uh, this also because we promote the value of trust uh, and, uh, and transparency. Uh, and uh, because many people were talking about transparency, it's it's very important thing. So we publish this report, we compare our results to the baseline to our ambitions to the last year. And uh, in some targets, by the way, we didn't do good. And we say we, we, didn't good, we didn't do good here. So we are trying to have some kind of action plans to accelerate uh, on this specific target because we, we, we missed this year. So we, we, we tell it like that. Uh, one more thing about SDGs. We have 17 SDGs, OK? And uh, when we report, we see also some other companies uh, or institution, institutions reporting uh, on SDGs. But they select only a few of them. You remember we were yeah. talking about this topic yeah. uh, this week. So 
we have 17 goals, but maybe one company is doing good in uh, uh, maybe in uh, equality, let's say. So they will report, okay, we are good. But uh, for Schneider, we report on the 17 sustainable development goals. We don't miss any of them. Even if we don't go, do good on this, we say, okay, this is, we report, we don't do good in this. So we give a holistic uh, approach and a clear image to what we do uh, because it's, 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 it's very important also for our business. We are providing our clients with products, with solutions, with services and softwares to manage their sustainability goals, to achieve their decarbonization plans using technology and innovation and a lot of things that we provide. So if we are providing this value to our clients, we should have it in, in our in-house first. So this is how we look to the, to the whole thing. For social part, yeah. yeah, I know you are waiting for this part. <laughs> for social part, actually, to be very transparent and very honest, we have our Schneider Foundation. Uh, it, is, it is a non-profit organization. Uh, which is uh, mainly funded by Schneider Electric, but it also raises funding uh, campaigns from other uh, participants uh, who want to participate. And why we made it separately as a Schneider Foundation? Because we want to segregate between our social responsibility and our business. So we don't, we, we want, okay, we are Schneider, we are providing this support to some uh, hot spots around the world, maybe in uh, uh, many countries, uh, I don't want to mention uh, names, but uh, we are supporting in many hot, uh, hot areas because of wars, because of uh, you know, uh, uh, climate issues, a lot of things, education, access to energy. So we created something called Schneider Foundation that can report its results separately. And we include these figures of Schneider Foundation on our sustainability impact. So, for example, uh, in Africa, in many countries in Central Africa, you know, and I think everybody here know, knows that uh, there is millions of people who doesn't have access to energy. So part of our Schneider Foundation business is to provide free access to energy to those people and fund these projects by Schneider Electric and by other participants if they want to participate. When we report social, and this is a very important topic here, uh, we can say, okay, we have installed, let's say, uh, 10 megavolt ampere of transformers or three pumps for water pumping or whatever. But this is the language, this language nobody will understand outside our, uh, our offices. So when we say, we say, okay, we provided clean water for 2,000 people or for, let's say, 200 households. Uh, when we provide uh, access to energy, of course, renewable have the priority to, uh, to provide. So again, we report that we give access to how many people uh, for, uh, to, to get access to clean energy. So we report it in the language that people will understand, that it is uh, the impact, the real impact on people. Uh, you improve the educational uh, system, you improve the healthcare system. So at the end of the day, uh, you know that certain number of people, even if it's small or big, they, their life has improved, even a little bit of improvement. So this is how we report the, um, the S part. Thank you. <laughs> and back to Mohammed Al Khalil. So uh, by default, uh, as, a, as a financial service regulator, I have, I have a social mandate uh, to look over society. 
So my mandate as per the law is to make sure that uh, depositors uh, for banks are protected, users of the financial uh, products are protected, uh, for example, policyholders for insurance industry are, are also protected. So there, there is a social element of, of my day-to-day -day job, actually. Uh, but the challenge is you cannot, in this area, you cannot put uh, regulations. I cannot put uh, a regulation for uh, my firms to say, like, I, I would like to, say, to see 50% of your board is, uh, is uh, from ladies. Uh, I can do it myself. We did it at, uh, ourselves. Uh, and, and we've set an example for, uh, for our firms. Similarly, I cannot, I cannot go and push someone to say, uh, you have to lend to a particular set of people because these people are poor, they don't have the access to the financial service because at the same time, uh, as I explained, my mandate is also to protect the people who are giving the money to the banks uh, to use it. So, so otherwise we will be in, in a contradicting uh, uh, position. But again, there is a lot of things that we are doing which falls under the uh, S uh, 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 letter, if you would like. Uh, for example, um, uh, we're doing a lot of efforts in terms of what we call financial literacy. Uh, and financial inclusion, uh, and, and um, I'm, I'm more uh, 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 supportive of the financial literacy uh, versus financial inclusion because I don't want people to go and use the financial system without knowing first what risk they are taking when they are using it because, uh, let's face it, uh, I know there's a lot of people here from the financial system, but many people in the financial system misuse the financial system to just make money. Uh, and and uh, effectively, uh, uh, the, the way um, we look at uh, our firm, that the fact that we provide a license for any bank to operate, uh, this license that we provide is actually on behalf of the society. So someone is getting a privilege on behalf of society to do banking business. And that person then has a social responsibility. Uh, so basically, financial literacy, the way we are doing it, uh, uh, we have on our website, we publish guidelines for people to go and see what kind of question they need to ask themselves uh, before getting engaged with a financial uh, institution, before uh, subscribing to any financial uh, product. We do also a lot of work with, uh, with some of the universities in the UAE. Uh, we have our people uh, go to uh, classrooms and talk to young people to explain to them um, uh, once you go to life, uh, if you want to open a bank account, these are the questions that you need to ask yourself and these are the areas that you need to, uh, to look at. So, so S is a, is a really big, uh, 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 I think it's, a, it's a much more bigger than maybe the, the E or uh, where, where all the I's are now. But I, I also would like to uh, uh, highlight a little bit about the G uh, because the G is also another letter which is, uh, it's easy said in ESG, but, uh, but not so many people. Uh, talk about and and for us, he is really the ultimate important uh, aspect. So even even when my team uh, goes and assess financial institution, uh, in in our internal report, the first section is about the governance, uh, because we believe that if you do well in governance, uh, then you have a sustainable business, and then you can do well for the society and 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 uh, for for the world. And if you're doing badly on on the governance aspect, you will end up failing, or you will end up making people lose their money. Uh, so G is, is very important, and unfortunately, in this part of the world, we're still, uh, uh, we lag behind uh, international standards, if you would like, when it comes to, to G. We still hear uh, from time to time cases where people just uh, 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 misgovern their, 
their, uh, uh, their corporate, whether in the financial world or even in the, in the general corporate world, and people are losing money and, and, uh, and uh, uh, people are suffering uh, out of that. So, so governance is, is really very important, and this is an area where we already have regulation ourselves in, in terms of what are our expectations when it comes to governance. Uh, uh, and currently, even there's a there's a big uh, uh, piece of work is taking place worldwide because uh, um, uh, 20 years ago the OECD came with uh, principles for uh, uh, a proper uh, corporate governance, and now they are re-looking at this uh, to see how to update it and make sure that these are still uh, as as um, where it where it should be. Uh, so so governance is is very important, uh, and uh, again, as I I think. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, if, if, if you don't have a good governance, you will not be able to do well on, on both the E and the S as, as well. Mohammed, if I may, yeah. and, and I'll hijack a question from you, uh, Tatiana. You, you mentioned the G, but your role is very important through G to enable the S and empower the S in other companies. And to give you an example, and you mentioned that uh, green financing or sustainable financing is, is, um, is a, an area of interest for, for the region here. So Etihad in 2019 started the first SD, I, I think it was the first SDG loan in global aviation. Um, and after the success of that SDG loan, so we actually got, um, you know, basically money to support our SDG efforts. And, and like Schneider, we did, we do through our CSR efforts and other efforts support all 17 goals. Only we don't report it to you, we should. You will be. I hope so. <laughs> um, and, and, and it was so su successful that we followed it uh, with a sustainability-linked sukuk, which is an Islamic bond, and most recently an ESG-linked loan. So from your perspective, how successful these things are going to be? Is this, an, is this uh, the new norm, you think, in this region? Because, um, you know, there's a lot of facilitation when it comes to linking it to green. But you, you, you as financial institutions, you can actually drive the G to drive the S through your G, basically. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case uh, so far. Uh, and I think financial institutions learned some, some lessons. So currently, when, when a financial institution, I'll take a bank as the easiest uh, example. If, if, if a bank wants to grant a loan, uh, they, they speak to the client. The main thing they look at is the balance sheet. And the ratio, the financial ratios, and uh, uh, they they assess if you can, if the, if the client can pay back the money, uh, they are fine. Uh, but then uh, they figure out that yeah, the financial numbers looks very nice and looks very good. Uh, but after the the client takes the money, uh, they don't have control how the client will be using the money. Uh, and if there is no good governance, uh, basically uh, the client might use it in a in a different way. Do you use frameworks? So, so that's that's what we're doing uh, now. So, so for for us, it's not any more important if if my banks are only assessing the numbers. Uh, uh, the the key part if if they are assessing the governance. So who are the people who are taking the money? How they how they are will gonna use it? If they have a proper uh, uh, disclosure, proper if there is enough transparency, uh, uh, all of these uh, questions. And I think that the way that eventually uh, will lead to have. Uh, 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 the good G and then the good S, but but the, to, to answer uh, the, your question from another perspective, actually, what what we've seen, uh, actually, clients themselves are now asking financial institutions that we want financing which is toward the E and the S and then the G, uh, and um, I'll be I'll be very honest here. Uh, financial institutions are not really angels, uh, or they will not do it. Oh, surprise! Uh, unless, surprise! Unless, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
unless there unless there's a demand. The good people are here. Yeah. So so and because of that demand, uh, actually they are doing it. So even governments, uh, you got surprised that we have, for example, in in, uh, in the DIFC, Nasdaq Dubai is, is the largest uh, uh, Sukuk listing uh, uh, exchange in, in the world, and we have governments like from Indonesia, from Malaysia, who came to list their own bonds, uh, and they've, they've insisted that they want to have it as green bonds, for example. Uh, we have now someone who's talking to us, they want to uh, uh, issue blue bonds. Uh, and effectively, the result, the, the, the uh, uh, money received through these bonds will be used to support some activities related to how, how to maintain the climate in the oceans uh, and how to maintain the the, the life uh, in, in the ocean. So, so that's, that's very good, uh, actually, uh, things to see that the client themselves are coming and asking for, uh, for this. But to be honest, in this region, it's not the same as what we see, for example, in, in Europe. Uh, there, the activity is much, uh, uh, it's much, uh, much uh, bigger. But, but where we are now, I, the, that financial institutions start to realize that this is not only a risk, but there is an opportunity as well. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of, of this thing. And, and the moment they see there is opportunity, then they start looking at it and they start investing uh, in it. So, so we have now some of the financial institutions are going to their client and asking them, asking them questions. Tell me what are you doing? I have one of the international banks uh, who's, who sent uh, a couple of months ago a questionnaire to all their clients saying, show me your sustainability plan. Um, and uh, uh, they got 80% of, uh, uh, of the clients responding to that. And then 60% of those who responded came back to them and told them, ah, I need you to help me uh, with that, which is great. Uh, uh, and uh, and are, they are telling them, show me what financing option you have that I can, it can help me to meet that uh, uh, target. So, so yeah, it's a, I think the way I view it, uh, uh, there has been talk that this, this topic has been there for years. Uh, it has been there under different uh, uh, names, uh, 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 climate, uh, corporate social responsibilities. But I think now we're, we're reaching a different level. And, and the push is coming from different ways, from the clients, from the financial institutions, from regulators, from the government. And I think this is where now we will see acceleration in the process to move toward those goals. The think tank by this point became a collective conversation as the floor opened for questions and the panel shared significant statements and takeaways. I think when we talk about opportunities and everyone is seeing opportunities, uh, there's the double sword. Um, we have people who take this opportunity and going to greenwash a lot. And I think greenwashes is a huge problem at the moment. And we've all seen the news this week uh, with uh, Deutsche Bank, I mean, uh, DWS. So um, what, what I can see, and I would love the panel and, and everyone in the room if they want to contribute, but we, the need here is to align on standards, to align on regulation, to, to have more transparency. Because yes, we talk about transparency. Yes, we talk about reporting, but here we're all reporting in different ways. Um, so somehow there's very little uh, understanding of what's really happening. And, and to go and check on what you're doing it's, it's complicated. How can I judge what you're doing uh, if you're using different standards and different ways? So what can we do? I mean, you as a regulator, you say, I could, or what, what could you do? Or, or, or what would you need as companies from an SME's perspective to a large you know, aviation company or 
Schneider Electric as well. What would you need to feel like you're part of something bigger? I, th I think one of the biggest problems with, um, you know, when everybody said you need data, we need, you know, start reporting, then everybody got on the bandwagon and thought, oh, you know what, we can easily make money out of this, you know, and then you get, so you get all these companies and how many companies are there now with all different reporting standards and you're trying to hang on to GRI and, and, and you were just saying something about GRI this morning and you want to, you know, so, so, so it's very difficult for people and very confusing and then often they'll be like, oh, you know, why am I doing this? But as you say, you know, transparency and data collection, it is the most important, because if we have a look now, just what the gentleman was saying there about, the, about Europe being caught with their pants down, and I don't know whether you heard me saying that or you robbed my words, but it's so true, because if you look at all the talk in Europe about renewables, and we're doing this and we're doing that, and suddenly, like, not 10 days into the, the war with the Ukraine and, and, and Russia, you see that there is panic. I'm like, hold on a minute, you're two weeks into a war. So, you know, what were you doing? Where are the renewables? You know, they talk about 75% of the new renewables can come from wind energy in Ireland because you're blown off the coast. So, you know, transparency, it's, it's, this is key. Um, to, to any sort of standard reporting at all. Um, if we could try to get some sort of standardization, that would be amazing because people, you know, so that people are not all over the place. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very difficult. So I think it it's going to be up to the individual companies actually and to deal with, with companies like Emex as well to just say, look, you know, can you come in, help us? And it's pricing as well. You know, there's so many, I know so many SMEs involved in sustainability who are, you know, having such an amazing impact, but they can't afford a lot of these companies to come in and do their calculations. I've looked at it. We're struggling along and we're doing our own calculations because I can't afford 250,000 for a beautiful report. You know, and, and so, so, so this is, I think, one of the things also that's key is to, to help the SMEs as well. And because they're what? They're about 90% of the economy here in the UAE and they're the, the least supported, well, for the sure. SMEs here don't even know what SDGs are. And uh, I think from a licensing point of view, when you open a company here, you should be handed over a nice leaflet saying, these are the SDGs, what are you doing about it? Yeah, but actually, interestingly enough, um, the, a lot of the businesses that are um, signatories of the Global Compact here in the, in the UAE are SMEs actually working in sustainability. So that's quite interesting, in fact. Actually, Tatiana, uh, I think it will be like that only. People will adopt their, uh, their own guidelines to report according until there is a regulation. Uh, imposed by government or by uh, regulation authority because we were refer referring to Europe for example they have uh, you know advanced ways of reporting a lot of things but why because most of European countries they have their own laws and regulations who are asking the companies to get to to report their extra financial results so as long as it's optional I don't expect that there will be a big momentum uh, Unless organizations like yours, for example, like uh, Gumbuk and, and all other organizations support the awareness around the community. Okay, this will create, of course, a big difference. But to make, the, to make it a completely mainstream, it has to be mandatory. And I'm sure that at certain point, either sooner or later, we will reach to that point. In the Middle East, it might come later, maybe. But this is our uh, destination. 
it has to it has to uh, to be there so this is uh, this is regarding yeah. the how we can uh, make it a mainstream activity for oil and gas industries it can be also sustainable because okay the product itself oil and gas you know it's it's uh, it's a carbon and uh, it is it is causing most of the co2 emissions across the globe but the industry itself the the oil field can be sustainable by having uh, innovative solutions energy efficiency by having renewable energies by having uh, by creating uh, that kind of uh, environmental uh, positive impact around the oil field so it's not completely black and white for the for the funding institutions or for the oil and gas industries or even for aviation for steel industries for energy intensive industries still there is a midway solution to make it sustainable and to make it uh, more eligible for green funding i'm not saying 100% eligible but at least they will have more additional points to get a green fund so if you compare two oil and gas companies one of them is just using the conventional ways of in-field electricity generation and transportation and everything other company can still produce oil and can produce gas but it can use renewable energies for the, its own operations inside the oil field so i think this might be uh, something that can support getting fund uh, from the funding institutions and still produce the, the product which we all believe it will continue with us at from my point of view at least till the end of this century. If I may, I think the, 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 the issue here is we're trying to find a one-size-fits-all solution for this and the most important thing is to establish a baseline and, and to have metrics in place to measure progress. We talk about long-term goals, we talk a lot about the problem, but we don't talk a lot about solutions. And we have a lot of low-hanging fruits, at least for my industry, we have a lot of, of, of low-hanging fruits, but the Europeans tend to be more I idealistic. For example, I have my reservations about refuel EU and fit for 55, and you're right, I mean, it, this is, I think, an opportunity for this region to be very innovative and to look at low, carbon, um, um, to focus on the low carbon part, even if it's a hydrocarbon, but just focusing on plugging in renewable energy to lower the carbon intensity of our technologies until the alternatives become available. Because currently, for example, sustainable, sustainable aviation fuel is not a solution for us because it's too expensive and limited in supply. And the UAE, for example, and the Saudis are advocating for the use of lower carbon aviation fuels. Lower carbon aviation fuels are hydro, uh, hydrocarbons, normal fossil fuels. Only during the life cycle uh, of producing it, we're plugging in renewable energies, carbon capture and storage to reduce the carbon intensity. So these are low carbon, uh, lower hanging fruits, in it, which I think we should tap into. So my point is metrics. Short-term targets, long-term targets, and establishing a baseline and working towards, um, um, me you know, measuring it. Probably we form in, in, in clusters where we lump aviation or the dirty businesses, and then, and for SMEs, I think we definitely need to see more carrots, and we need to we need to see the governments and government incentivizing um, SMEs to to um, you know to to spearhead. Um, uh, uh, the sustainability sort of movement, so they need to be feel more empowered to do so. So metrics probably and more carrots than sticks. Sticks for us, but carrots for them. Thank you for joining us on the episode today. I hope you found it insightful. 
With still much more to cover on the wide-ranging subject of ESG, the conversation continues on. To stay tuned for upcoming think tanks or to read the post-event report, please email us at ask at Forward Talks is brought to you by Goombook, where we hope to continue to change mindsets and help shape the global sustainability landscape. I'm your host, Tatiana Antonelli, and this episode was produced by Shira Say. You can find out more as well as our previous episodes by visiting goombook.com slash podcast. And tell us what you thought by reaching out to us on Instagram at goombook. That's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K. Thank you again and see you soon.